We all struggle with fear at some point and in some way. And fear can be incredibly debilitating. But what is it that we're really afraid of? What are we worried about? Maybe it's finances. I can understand that. Uh, People in my generation are struggling with a lot of student loans and debt. Maybe, Maybe you're worried for the safety of your kids or your grandkids, especially after the events of this past week down in Florida. Maybe you're worried about the influences on them. Or maybe, maybe you're worried because you know you have to speak a hard word of truth to somebody in power and you don't know how to do it. Maybe, maybe you're worried because as you walked in, you're, you're afraid that somebody might have taken your spot in the pew. Wait, oh wait, no, that, that never happens and, and that's not really worth being afraid of. At least I hope you're not worried about that. But we get a little concerned. We, we have our routines. Maybe... Maybe you're afraid because you're starting to realize as our culture changes that following Christ is going to cost a lot more than we thought it would, than we were ready for, than we expected. See, fear can paralyze us. It can prevent us from moving forward, prevent us from acting. It makes us stall in our spot. See, people... Fear on a, on, a more grand, on a more grand scale, they fear that they're not going to have success, that they're not going to live up to the standards they've set, that they're not going to be good enough to be loved, or that they're going to be found out as a fraud, or that they just, their life isn't really going to matter in the end. They're afraid. See, people are afraid because they have forgotten whose they are, or perhaps they never knew. They've forgotten that the God of the universe who made the heavens and the stars, who set the the sun in its place, knows each and every one of us by name. He has claimed us. He says that we are his beloved children, that he is watching over us. But all of us at times forget that truth. And we begin to stumble. We begin to worry and cower in fear. And whenever we're afraid, we we default back to our most basic instinct, fight or flight response. See, we we fall back into the patterns of self-preservation that put ourselves and our needs first. And whenever we do that, then we can't actually follow Jesus. We can't love like Jesus. We can't care for others like Jesus because all we're really concerned about is ourselves or our family or the two or three people in front of us. We can't be concerned for those around us. In today's Old Testament lesson, we heard the story of Abraham as he was being tested, willing to sacrifice Isaac, his son. This is a gut-wrenching, terrifying story. And it's not that way because we're a more refined, uh, more sophisticated, and, and a better moral culture. It's because this story is absolutely nuts. This story is crazy. Abraham is about to sacrifice the child of promise. The child that God gave to him and Sarah in their old age. The child whom he loves. But before we get too harsh on Abraham, there are two things I want you to keep in mind. 
And two things I want you to, to remember. The first is this. In today's passage, it says absolutely nothing about what is going on in Abraham's mind and in his heart. We don't know the inner turmoil he was going through, and surely he was, because we know that this was his like pride and joy. This was the thing he loved most was Isaac, his son. But it doesn't say anything. All we know is that Abraham trusted in God. And the second thing we need to remember is the rest of Abraham's story that led up to this. See, this is after 10 chapters of God interacting with Abraham over and over again. And in those 10 chapters, God has been confirming Abraham's identity that he is God's and reminding him of his covenant love and protection that belongs to Abraham, that God is with him and that God is for him, that he's on his side and that he is loved. So you remember the beginning of Abraham's story. Abraham was in Haran and God called him out and Abraham followed in faith and went to the promised land. And God took him up onto a hill and showed him all the land and said, this will belong to you and your descendants. And Abraham scratched his head and said, well, that's, that's nice, God, but um, I'm old, Sarah's old, and I don't have a descendant. This is all going to go to Eleazar of Damascus. Um, thanks, I guess. Uh, what am I supposed to do with this? And then, but Abraham said, okay. And then Abraham went down and walked through the land, journeyed with his, his exceedingly beautiful wife, Sarah. And as he wandered around, he noticed some big towns and some powerful men. And Abraham became afraid. What if they notice her? They'll, they'll kill me to have her. And so twice, twice it's recorded in scripture that Abraham told other people that Sarah, his wife, was his sister and allowed other men to take her into their household. I'm just guessing, but I'm assuming wives out there, that you wouldn't be happy if your husband did that. Uh, That that sounds like a cowardly husband who doesn't want to fight for you, doesn't trust that, that God has got you. But when that happened, God protected Sarah and blessed Abraham and brought her back. And then after that, as, as God reaffirms his promise that, that Abraham is going to have a child and that this is, he's going to have offspring that outnumber the stars through this child, well, they say that's great, but Sarah's beyond childbearing years and, and I'm old. How is this going to happen? And God says, don't worry, I'll take care of it. And then a couple of years pass and they get antsy. They start to doubt. Well, maybe, maybe they're afraid that, that God's not able to deliver on his promise. Maybe God needs our help. It's kind of the thoughts running through their head. And so Sarah says, Abraham, why don't you sleep with my servant Hagar so she can be a surrogate mother for this child of promise? And they do that. And they have the, the child Ishmael, and God blesses him. But God comes back and says, no, no, this isn't the one. This isn't the child of promise. I told you it would be through Sarah. I told you I was going to deliver you. Why do you keep doubting? Why are you so afraid that I can't handle it? Abraham again and again and again continues to default back to his old pattern of life. He goes back to the the fears and the insecurity instead of embracing the identity in God that has been given to him. He continues to cower and hide. See, it's at this point in the story where everything begins to change for Abraham. Everything starts to look different. He's, he's gone through all of this and God has been on his side over and over again. And finally, he learns to trust in God, to trust God's love and to trust that God is on his side. 
And so Abraham begins to keep his half of the covenant. See, a covenant always has two parts. The first is knowing your identity is in the Father, knowing that you are a child of God who is loved, who he is watching over and guarding. And the second half is out of that love and identity, then obeying God, uh, submitting to God, following his will for our lives. Abraham has finally come to the point where he realizes doing it his own way isn't working out. And so he's going to trust that God has got him and that God knows what is best for him. Because time and again, in his wanderings, God protected him. When he went out to war, God protected him. When God said he would give the child a promise, God delivered. And so Abraham has learned to trust. See, Abraham can let go of his fears because he believes in God's love. And so even how in this story, as this command comes to to offer up Isaac, even though Abraham doesn't understand it, even though he's struggling because God had said this was the child of promise, Abraham believes that God is on his side, that God loves him, that God is for him and with him, and will continue to be faithful to his promises as he had been in the past. See, in our lives, in our faith journey, when we struggle and we come to those places where we have a crisis of faith or a crisis of identity and we don't know what to do, it's because we believe that God isn't in control. We believe that God doesn't have us. We believe that that God just can't pull through. We live in fear and so we, we come out swinging because we are our only hope, or we cower and hide because we, we don't know what the answer is. We default back to self-preservation. At the bottom of every sin, it is a failure to trust God, a failure to trust that God is in control. We just think that he doesn't have it. He doesn't have us. He's not powerful enough. He's not good enough. He is, we're not really his beloved children, and so we doubt. See, the bottom of every sin is fear. When you steal or covet other people's things, it's because you believe that God doesn't know your needs. You're you're afraid that God doesn't really know what you need. When you give in to adultery or lust, it's because you fear that what God has given you isn't enough, isn't good enough. When you give in to anger and hatred, murder, It's because you have given in to the fear of others and you believe that God isn't capable of watching over you and protecting you. And so you fear people who are different. You fear people who say something different because you believe that really God isn't the one who's watching over my life. When you lie, it's because you fear that the truth will destroy you. That if if people know, then I won't be loved. If I admit it, then God will know and I won't be forgiven. I, I can't be claimed as God's child. Again and again, it comes down to fear. We're afraid that God doesn't want us, that God doesn't love us, that God isn't powerful enough, that forgiveness isn't really for me. And so we start to place other things in God's place and we worship them as God's. We look to other things to give us an identity, to know who we are, to give us security in the midst of challenging circumstances, or to give us meaning in life because we feel like God doesn't give us that. It always comes down to a fear that God cannot deliver, and so we put our hope in something else. 
We're afraid that God isn't with us, God isn't for us, God isn't on our side. See, Abraham, in today's story, was willing to offer up Isaac because he had finally come to a point where even though Isaac is his most beloved child, the thing he loves most in the world, he trusts that God is for him, that God is with him. And so he's willing to let go and hand it over to God, trusting that God knows what is best. He is not owned by the fear. He is defined by his love and obedience to God. See, the only way we can come to obey God in a deeper way is by letting go of the fear. And the way we let go of the fear and the way we learn to obey is by first knowing God's love for us. As Abraham had experienced it again and again, we experience God's love again and again in word, in sacrament. As God comes to us, we see God's love for us. As we journey toward the cross in Lent, we see it all poured out. And as we come to experience that love, we're given freedom. Freedom to trust that we are truly God's beloved children, and then freedom out of that identity to obey, to follow where he would lead us. See, in life, in the challenging circumstances, in the struggles, in those moments where we wonder what is going on and and how can this be happening when we have the doubts, we need to be reminded that, that doubts are a natural part of our journey of faith. Even the prophets and the apostles and Every disciple since has had moments of doubt. Doubt is not the enemy of faith. Fear is. See, in the midst of our doubts, we cannot let the fear control us and drive what we believe about God, what we believe about our life, what we believe about how God feels about us. And so in the midst of those struggles and doubts, we need to hear words like those of 1 John chapter 4. And I invite you to read them with me. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. This is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear, because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. So as God's people... Let us strive to cast off all fear, cast off all sin, and dwell in God's unfailing love and promises. It says that you are forgiven, that you are his beloved child, that he is with you no matter what comes in this journey. Amen.